If you are here for the first time, we're so thankful that you're here with us today. We are a community on mission uh, that we want to do whatever we can to reach the poor, the orphan, the widow, the unwed mother, and the refugee. And this past week, we had uh, what we call Serve Week, where we stop all of our midweek groups and all of our midweek gatherings, and we seek to serve our city. And so this past week, we we served several different communities, uh, partners, um, things like Trinity Cafe, where we want to feed, help feed, give sandwiches for the the hungry. Uh, We we, we served at Renaissance Senior Living, and we also worked on campus and as well as various other things. And so again, we are a community on mission here at New City. But this, uh, this morning, we're going to be jumping back into Ephesians 3 in our Gospel Identity series. And one of the things that I love about this book, Book of Ephesians, is that week after week, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, it shows us the beauty of Jesus. And this week specifically, I have been personally struck and just kind of humbled by what I personally get to do week after week after week and just opening up the Bible to preach Christ. Like it's truly an honor and it is a privilege, an incredible privilege. But something I want us to see today is that proclaiming Christ is not just for those who come in and preach in a gathering like this. No, it's for everyone who calls Jesus Lord. It is for the entire church. In fact, what we'll see today is that we collectively, as the church, have an incredible privilege that we all together collectively get to do as a group of people that no single person can do on their own. Like, it's truly remarkable what we, the church, are gifted and called and privileged to do. Yes, we saw last week where every follower of Jesus, we have a calling to proclaim Christ and to share our faith and to make the gospel known. But what we'll see today is that we also have a collective calling as the church to proclaim Christ, showing us very quickly our main idea today, and it's that the church has the privilege to proclaim Christ. Now, as we stepped into Ephesians chapter 3 last week, we saw Paul shift his focus outside of the church. And what we saw last week from our text were kind of six thoughts on gospel ministry, specifically ministry that advances the gospel and proclaims Christ. We saw in verses 1 through 7 uh, that gospel ministry, it comes with a cost. Uh, we also saw that it takes root, and it first takes root in our own hearts. It's a work, so that work of the Spirit. It exalts Jesus. It welcomes all people into a new family, and it's a display of grace and power. But that was last week. And so if last week was part one, we could say that this week is part two. Because our text today in verses 7 through 13 is very much an extension and a continuation of verses 1 through 6. And yes, we did look at verse 11 last week, and we're going to look at it again this week because it bridges and it ties our text together. So last week we spent a lot of time uh, talking about our own individual ministry that God has called us to, but this week we'll see Paul shift from his own individual ministry uh, to the church's collective ministry. And yes, Paul focused on advancing the gospel, but just like he did in Ephesians 2, his focus shifts from me to we. And as we go back through this, seeing our collective privilege as the church, we're going to have uh, three simple ideas today, three simple points. Number one, the privilege of proclamation. Number two, Uh, the privilege for the church, and number three, the incomprehensible Christ. And I think you'll see why, uh, when we read our text, why I use the word incomprehensible, because Paul, he uses several big words in our passage, some of which he just made up to show the greatness of Jesus. So I felt compelled by Paul to use a big word to describe the vastness and depth of Jesus, but we'll get to that. And before we read our text, I want us to just first think about this concept and this idea of human institutions, which just sounds exhilarating, I know. But as we think about the church as a group of people, I think it may be helpful for us to think about it in comparison to other groups of people. 
You know, maybe something like a company. I know many of you uh, work for an organization that makes a product or provides a service. Maybe you work for a healthcare industry or public, probably some sort of public service industry or possibly some sort of education or maybe the military. You know, there are several other different types of human institutions that are for a common cause, maybe something like a, a nonprofit or a political party or maybe even a sports team. You know, several weeks ago, I shared about a, a, a pirate club that was started by one of my friends uh, on UNC Chapel Hill's campus back in 2003. And as I was thinking about all of this, I was painfully reminded of how I was on student council my senior year of high school as the senior class pet board, which meant I was over all the spirit days and pep rallies for our senior, for our senior class. And you know, I was so bad at this, <laughs> just so bad, which meant I was over all the spirit days and pep rallies. Like I was like, the only reason I did this was because like nobody else was running and I was guaranteed to win. And I thought it would look good on a college application and y'all, I needed all the help I could get. But in order for me to win, I had to give a speech. And so what did I do for my speech? Well, I came bursting through the curtain with 800 people watching. I said in just a complete monotone voice with no emotion or no excitement at all, I simply said, I am your senior class pet board. And then I just walked off the stage. Did the crowd burst out in excitement? No. Did they clap? No. Just total crickets, blank stares. That's it. Like, it was all downhill from there. And every single time I tell that story, my wife, she gets secondhand embarrassment for me in that. And that entire year, y'all, I was in charge of rallying my high school senior class as a group of people. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think we all understand that people gather and rally together through a bunch of different ways. But what we're going to see Paul show us today is that the cause and rallying cry of the church, it is the greatest cause in the entire universe. We, the local church, we are given the greatest privilege, not just in the world, but in the entire cosmos. What we are given as the church, as New City Church, and not just our church, but really every church, is the greatest cause that has ever been given on this planet. And also, in all the spiritual realms, like outside of this physical world, what we'll see today. And what is so great about this is that it is not just something that we, can, that we, cannot, we cannot do this by ourselves. No single person can do this alone. No, it is a collective accomplishment where every person plays a part. There's no organization or club or company or political party or government agency that is given as great and high of a task, and I would also say as much power as the local church. I don't care what you accomplish or what you're a part of, where you work or what school you go to, what we'll see today from God's word is that being deeply connected to the ministry and the mission of the local church is the greatest thing that you will ever be a part of in your entire life. No questions asked. And I want to be clear, this is not me saying this is a pride thing. No, this is what Paul will show us in Ephesians chapter 3. And so again, our main idea today is that the local church has the privilege to proclaim Christ. But I'm afraid that that one short sentence is not going to be enough. Like when we walk away today, my hope and prayer is that we should just be in total awe of what we, the church, get to do and what we're a part of. And then also to simply just be in awe of Jesus. Like I want us to get there because this is where Paul is while he's in jail, might I add. If you looked at, back at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, we'd see that Paul said uh, he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus, almost like he knows that these people are worried that he's in jail. Kinda, he's kind of addressing the elephant in the room. And then at the end of our text, he says, so don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you. 
Meaning Paul's like, do you see all that we're a part of? Don't worry about me. This is nothing like this, like this is nothing, Paul is saying this is nothing compared to the privilege we have as a church. And we must ask, what is it that Paul is so willingly and so joyfully sacrificing his life for? Let's look and see what Paul says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, was real, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, there's so much goodness here. Paul's out here making up words in the Greek, in the original language. He's trying to exp- just trying to explain the greatness of this. But we're going to walk back through this ver- these verses and dig into this psalm. So let's look back at verse 7, where we ended last week. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So gospel literally means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, how through Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, when we give him our life, we're clean and free. We're brought back into the family of God. And so Paul has been going on and on about the goodness of God in the gospel in the letter of Ephesians up to this point. Just how in Christ we're forgiven. We're no longer sinners but saints. We're no longer without hope, but we're children of God. We're given a new family and a new ministry and a new purpose, and it's all because of Jesus. And as we read in our text today, we'll see Paul use language of of mystery, how there was a mystery that was uh, made known, and Jesus was was that mystery, how Jesus unites everything back to God for all people everywhere. The mystery of God, how God would bring all people back to himself and fulfill his promise, like when God's people weren't sure how it would work. It was made clear that through Jesus, like Jesus was and is the answer to that mystery. There seemed to be no way for all people to be with God, but Jesus, he made a way. And Paul says, and of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, meaning Paul was given his position and influence and his ministry of no reason of his own. Not because he was good enough or not because he was a super religious person. No, it's only because of God's grace. Like Paul did not earn this. Jesus earned it for him. And then Paul talked about how his ministry was given to him by the working of God's power. So Paul's essentially saying, and this is important for us today, that God's grace and power is the key to God, to Paul's ministry. If there is no grace and no power, there is no gospel ministry. So Paul's entire ministry is totally dependent on God. It wasn't in his own strength or in his own intelligence or his charisma or people or leadership skills. No, the key to Paul's ministry was the grace and power of God. And church, that was the foundation for Paul's ministry. Uh, Our ministry is the exact same. And all the reason we gathered last Sunday night as a collective body of people just to pray and ask for God's favor is because we know and believe so deeply that without God's grace and power, we don't have a ministry. Our church does not exist. 
The reason that we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church leading up to Easter, and the reason we are praying over names and people in our life, praying for their salvation, praying for boldness to proclaim, and praying over uh, just to, that we would, who, who to invite to Easter, this is because we know that we can share the facts of the gospel. People can come in and hear the gospel and understand it intellectually, but unless God's grace and power goes to work to save people, we really have no fighting chance. And so what do we do? Well, we pray, and we pray, and we pray for God to move. And after that, we walk in obedience to do what God has called us to do, which is to proclaim the message of Jesus, which leads us to number one, the privilege of proclamation. Yes, we proclaim, and it is a privilege, but we can't forget that the results are empowered uh, by God. You know, we talked about privilege When we talk about privilege, we're talking about an advantage or some sort of added benefit or bonus that is given to a restricted group of people because of their position or influence. It's kind of like having a house or a car. It's a privilege. It's a benefit that comes with financial resources. For example, my my wife, uh, the company that she works for, they have season tickets to the Lightning Game. It comes with parking passes and access to the Chase Lounge. And so me and my wife, we, we don't have these tickets and passes on our own, but when we, they gave them to her as a free gift, we all of a sudden were given an incredible privilege to a game and food and parking that we never would have had otherwise. And so what we're saying today is that proclaiming Jesus to the world, it's a privilege, it's a blessing. But how so? Well, let's look back at verse 8 and 9 again. Paul said to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this is a bit of a mouthful, so hang with me here. Paul just said that he is aware that he is the least of all the saints, which seems ironic coming from Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. But what Paul is getting at here is that he understands who he once was. Like, he wasn't like the other disciples. He wasn't uh, like a plain, normal person, like, just kind of like the fishermen. No, Paul persecuted the church. He killed Christians before he was a, a Christian. So Paul understands his past life. He understands who he once was. But then he says, but this grace was given to him, meaning, yes, he had his old life, but then God opened up his eyes to see Jesus. God showed him grace. And he was given that grace for the purpose of preaching to the Gentiles, to every person who is not a Jew and outside of God's family. And what did he proclaim? What did Paul preach? He said, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That that word unsearchable was Paul's made-up word that he used as a means to show like the vastness of Jesus. And as we think about the privilege of proclaiming Jesus, like we're, we're bringing to light, as Paul says in verse 9, for everyone, God's plan for the world. I mean, just think about this. God was kind of like, I, I've, got, I've got this incredible master plan for the entire world to come together and be united in all in perfect unison. Like, I've got peace to offer and show for the entire world. And guess what? I'm going to use you, church, to make known this privilege. This is part, like, this is our privilege. But then also, just think about how proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Jesus, this idea of making a mystery known, taking something that was a mystery and making it no longer a mystery. It's kind of like being told a secret. It makes you feel kind of special. It's like we have this special information and message. It's like I've got the answer to the mystery. And church, we have the answer to the mystery. We have the privilege of making known the immeasurable riches of Jesus. I think an illustration here may help. 
Just, someone, just imagine someone legally handing you access to all the resources for the top 10 wealthiest people in the world, which comes out to this week to about $1.2 trillion. All of a sudden, overnight, you have $2 billion to spend every month for the next 50 years. I think we can all agree that's a lot of money. And you could buy a $100 million mansion every a month for 50 years straight, along with a new car every day and also the nicest clothes and nicest meals every day for the rest of your life, and you still couldn't spend it all. I mean, just imagine being able to invite every person you know and love to share in these resources. It would be an incredible privilege. It would seem as if you could never, ever get to the bottom of those resources until you think, oh, well, maybe I could try to pay off the U.S. national debt. And then you realize real quick that those resources do, in fact, have a limit They do have a bottom, but what Paul is trying to communicate about Jesus is that Jesus is a treasure to be daily discovered that has no limit. There are riches that are to be found in Jesus and his word and through the spirit that we are able to search out for a lifetime that are able to encourage us and shape us and help us and just to marvel at that do not have a bottom. There, are, there is no limit. Yes, having access to $1.2 trillion, that would be an incredible privilege. But guess what? Having the riches of Christ are better. There is a, that's a greater privilege. And so let me just ask, do you believe that? If we had to choose between $1.2 trillion or Jesus, what would you choose? New City, the riches of Christ are better than the riches of the world. But guess what? We know those riches, we have those riches in our hands if we are in Christ. We have the privilege to share of these unsearchable riches with the world. I mean, what a privilege. Just think about this. When when your neighbor is in a pit of despair, wrestling through life, guess what? We have unsearchable riches in Jesus to offer that tells them the God of the universe loves them, cares for them, is with them, and has a plan for their life. When when your friend is overwhelmed by shame and guilt, we have unsearchable riches to offer that just cracks open the lid into the depths of God's love that says to them, there is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. It says if you are in Christ, you're lovely, you're admirable, you're holy. Shame and guilt is not your identity. No child of the living God is your identity. Redeemed and pure and holy saint is your identity. Christian, these truths are just the tip of the iceberg into the depths of God's love that he has showered on us. And when we think we don't know how to communicate these riches, yes, we seek to grow and we seek to do our best, while at the same time we're also in the right spot. Because guess what? These riches are so rich that we don't have the words to communicate them. But you know what? God does. And he, he takes our weak and feeble attempts to communicate the love of God and to articulate the gospel message. He takes our efforts and he douses it with grace and power. And he does a work in the hearts of those we share with. You see, what a privilege it is to be holding something so incredible and so life-altering that has the power to multiply into the hearts of people in ways that we could never dream of. Christian, the privilege we have to offer to the world is Christ. It's Jesus You know, if we don't see having Christ ourselves as a privilege and treasure, we certainly won't see sharing Christ as a privilege. New City, Christ is our treasure. I can't help but think of the conversion of Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever live. He came to Christ by walking into a small Methodist church in the middle of a snowstorm that was so bad, the regular pastor didn't even make it to church that day. 
And so what happened? Well, a shoemaker who made it to church, walking through the snowstorm, he gets up for 10 minutes and he preaches from Isaiah chapter 42. uh, And this somewhat uneducated man said over and over again, he said, look to Christ and be saved for 10 minutes, over and over again. Look to Christ and be saved. That's all that Charles Spurgeon remembered him saying. Those were the riches that he heard about. And you know what God did? God took that and he multiplied it in his heart and he opened up his eyes and unlocked his heart to the riches of Christ that he would spend the rest of his life preaching about. Well, we as a church are committed to week after week after week from every book and every verse of the Bible to speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ that is for all people in all generations all over the world. And church, this is an incredible privilege that we get to be a part of. This is what we get to bring to those we love. We have Jesus to offer to the world. But as I said at the beginning, there's something special and unique that we, the church, are able to do collectively that we individually can't do by ourselves. Again, this is why the church is the greatest organization and human institution and group of people that you will ever be a part of. Look at the next two verses. Paul said, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, this is absolutely incredible. These verses this week, for me personally, have just kind of shook me to the core, just kind of incredible, like just in awe of the beauty of the church, showing us, number two, the privilege for the church. Y'all, try to follow me here. Paul said that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God or to say it another way, just the complexity of God's diverse wisdom, Paul's saying that we, the church, are now able to make known this wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So just think about that. We, the church, make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the complexity of God's wisdom. I don't know about you, but I would think that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places would make known to us, the church, the fullness of God's uh, wisdom. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said that we, the church, make it known to them. Like all the angels and the angelic beings that exist in the cosmic universe, they can better understand and see the complexity and fullness of God's wisdom by seeing the church be the church. I don't know about you, but this seems crazy. Like us collectively, New City Church, are teaching the angels and also the demons, might I add, about the character of God and the fullness of his wisdom. I mean, get this. Like the enemies of God, all the demons, when they see us being the church that God has called us to be, they shudder and tremble at the power of God. The angels of God that watch over us and protect us as part of the army of God, they see us, New City Church, living out the one another commands in the Bible to love one another and to care for one another and to encourage one another and to bless one another and to build each other up and on and on we could go. They see us do these things that the Bible calls us to do as the church and the angels are led to worship God with a greater understanding of God's wisdom. Oh, and the heavenly beings and the angels and all the heavenly hosts, when they see us as broken people, just like cracked clay pots, so to speak, get out of our comfort zone and do things that are outside of our nature and step out with boldness and zeal and share with someone who is far from God about the love of Jesus and his grace. And that person who hated God, who was mad and angry with God, have their hearts softened and their eyes open and respond to faith in Jesus. The angels fall down and worship God by seeing the power and grace of God put on display through us. And you know what the demons do? They just shudder at his power. 
Y'all, when we come together as broken people, wounded and full of worry from our week, and we collectively sing the praises of God and send utter the preaching of God's word and are led to worship and moved to zeal for God's mission, that's the power of God on display. That's the Holy Spirit at work. When 150 people who are sold out for Jesus each invite a few people to our Easter service who are far from God to come and hear the gospel with the hopes of being saved. Like when we, the church, get out of our comfort zone and live on mission and fervently pray for the lost, New City, the angelic beings are amazed at the Spirit's work to work through broken people who are moved to live courageously. When we baptize people on Easter Sunday for those, uh, and for those new believers, when they declare their faith to their church family, that their old life is gone and the new life is here, that their sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus and they are now clean and free forever. When we, the church, are then led to rejoice and praise God, seeing a transformed life put on display through baptism, y'all, the angels are moved to worship and rejoice. And not because of us. They're not worshiping us. No, they're worshiping the grace and power of God to redeem and restore broken sinners and calling them saints. I don't know how to say this any other way. New City, our church is not simply an organization. We're not only a service to attend. The church is not a building. We're not a club. No, we are a picture and display of God's power and grace to the entire universe. And there's no other human entity or group of people on this planet like it. We together are without a doubt a better picture of the heart of God than we are by ourselves. Which leads us to say when we are away from the body of Christ, there's a part of our gospel identity that is missing. No, God didn't make us or design us to be together all day every day. No, we gather to display the love of Jesus and then we scatter to display the love of Jesus. We're called to do both, but guess what? We're stronger when we're together. When we are gathered together in person and face-to-face, talking with each other and just sharing life with each other during the week within our groups and staying after just to share life with one another, we're strengthening the church, we're growing stronger, and we're allowing God's power and grace to go to work. Church gathering and being together is a privilege. Being the church that God calls us to be is a privilege. Living on mission and doing ministry together, it's a privilege. And verse 11 tells us this was God's plan for all of eternity. The church would display the character and wisdom of God through us, his people. Like this was God's eternal purpose. And so if you're ever wondering what God is doing in the world, very simply put, he's building his church. That's what God is doing. This is our privilege. But do you know what? Again, it, would, it wouldn't be our privilege if it wasn't for Jesus. This privilege would not have been possible and realized, as verse 11 shows us, if Jesus wasn't made known, none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for number three, the incomprehensible Christ. This word incomprehensible is a word, it's another way of translating Paul's made-up word back in verse 8, when he spoke of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the depths of and glory and goodness of Jesus, it's incomprehensible. The goodness of Jesus can't be fully comprehended on this side of heaven. And we're not going to go into all the depths of this again, but when we think back to the unsearchable riches of Christ, we're reminded of the immense depth of God and his character. I mean, just think back to that idea of having $1.3 trillion. And don't worry, I'm not going to Jesus juke you here. We already know that Jesus is better than that, okay? But just think about the craziness of that amount of money and maybe just the number in itself. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen kids try to count as high as they can, but my kids often will do this and will ask, hey, how long will it count me to, take me to count to like 500 or maybe 1,000? I'm like, I don't know, eight or nine minutes. So I'll just start counting and I'll time you. 
Well, sometimes they make it or sometimes they give up, somewhere around 100 just because they get bored with it. Well, to count to 1.3 trillion, Google says it will take them for over 41,000 years. Like, I'm not the smartest person on the planet, but I don't think they can do that, okay? But then thinking about it in forms of money. Like, if my math is right, it, to make $1.3 trillion, that's making $89 million a day for 40 years straight. That's an incomprehensible amount of money. But the point I'm trying to make here is that when we think of the goodness and power and glory of Jesus, it too is incomprehensible. It's vastly more incomprehensible. But what is so sweet about Jesus is that we can both understand Jesus at a very young age and have saving faith, while at the same time study his life and character for a lifetime and never fully understand his depths. But I just want us to think about the immense riches that those who are in Christ and that we, the church, have access to. The goodness of God is incomprehensible. It's vast. It never ends. And yet God says to us, come and be filled. Come and enjoy my goodness. That's what Paul gets at in verse 12. Look what he says as he speaks of Jesus. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Because of our faith in Jesus, whose goodness is incomprehensible, Paul says we have boldness and access with confidence in him and through him. So where is our confidence in evangelism? It's found in our incomprehensible Christ. So where is our boldness found for gospel advancement? It's found in the riches of Jesus. But church, guess what? This boldness and confidence found in God's riches, yes, it's for proclaiming Christ, but it's also for a whole host of other things that we, the church, get to live out of. When we come together and when we fast and pray collectively for 21 days straight as God's people and pray for a work of the Spirit and pray for unity and a hunger for God and repentance and healing and restoration, we are praying for these things that may seem crazy to the world, but we can, and we can pray with boldness and confidence because of the riches and resources of our incomprehensible Christ. I mean, can you just imagine having parents who were trillionaires that loved you and wanted what was best for you and saying, I'm really hungry. Can I just have $10 for lunch? I think you could be confident and ask boldly for that $10, believing that they were able to give it to you if it was good for you. You know, we serve a God that loves to answer prayer, whose goodness and power is incomprehensible. Like he is not poor, he is rich. We serve a God whose reality is way bigger than our dreams could ever imagine. And so us praying for 100 people who are far from God but close to us to come in this, this, this Easter and hear the gospel, yes, it may seem a little crazy for a church our size, and yes, it will take every person inviting multiple people and praying over them and us going all in, and maybe several of you just filling up vans and bringing people from all over, maybe uh, from places we've served this past week. But you know what? We can pray for 25 baptisms this year and send out 35 people on short-term trips and for 100 kids at Kids Week. Y'all, we can pray for crazy big prayers with boldness and confidence as an act of worship to the Lord because the riches of Christ are incomprehensible. And maybe God will answer it, maybe you won't. But regardless of the result, whether answered or unanswered, New City, we can come with boldness and confidence because Jesus, he's rich with goodness and mercy. And you know what? This is an incredible privilege. Prayer is a privilege. And you know what Paul says as a response to this? I think this is so great. Look what he says. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So because of their confidence and boldness and being able to come to Jesus with everything, Paul says, and so because of that, 
I ask you not to lose heart over what he's suffering for them. Paul has been laboring to get the gospel to them, to get Jesus to them, and in return, because of Jesus, they get to see his glory. But guess what? As we saw last week, Paul's effort, it came with a cost. It came with suffering and hardship. And here in verse 13, Paul is saying to them, yes, I'm in jail. It's not easy. No, it's not fun. He's suffering. But he's saying, don't lose heart, because his goodness and his kindness, it's incomprehensible. And Paul, he's got access to it, even in his suffering. And so Paul's like, don't worry about me. I've got the riches of Jesus. And in return, he's also encouraging them with their concern for him. He's reminding them of what they also have access to. Like maybe, maybe they were worried about their future and with, well, like with their leader in jail or maybe fearful that they too would be put in jail and suffer as he did. And Paul is reminding them that Jesus, he is rich. And I don't know who needs to hear this today. But if you are in Christ and going through trial and hardship, I want to call you today from verse 13 to not lose heart. To go to the Lord with boldness and confidence and to rest in the power and grace of Jesus that is incomprehensible. Yes, we pray for God to do a work through us for those who are outside of the faith. But do you know what Paul knows and what we know? We all know that, yes, we labor and we toil in gospel ministry. All the while, we ourselves, we also need to be reminded of the gospel. That we who proclaim Christ to the world, who have the privilege of displaying the character of God to the heavenly beings, we too are in desperate need of God's grace and power. And the moment we believe that someone else needs the gospel more than us, y'all, we have totally missed it. Yes, we, have, we may have salvation, we may have faith in Jesus, but the gospel is not only for eternal life, it's also our daily balm for our wounded soul that says to us, as Paul said, don't lose heart. Our God, he's rich. And again, Paul knows that even the greatest gospel warriors advancing the gospel, displaying, displaying the power and glory of God, they too will experience suffering and hardship. And why? Because it's all part of the call. We're fighting in a spiritual war. And because of that, we each need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and let his insurmountable love heal our hearts day after day after day. Y'all, we can so often run so hard in ministry and yet forget that we too are in desperate need of Jesus. And we need the gospel today just as much as everyone else. And we proclaim Christ to the world. We're not sitting up on a podium saying, hey, I'm up here better than you. If you take this, you can be like me up here on my podium. No, that's not biblical gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation is more like seeing ourselves as weak and needy beggars who are in desperate need of the gospel and have found a vast riches in help and power and grace and mercy from Jesus. And we simply are saying to others, I've been helped by this. These riches are healing my heart and soul. Here, take it. Like it's overflowing with abundance. The resources of Jesus are rich and never ending. This will be a balm for your wounded soul. Let it minister to us together. D.T. Niles said it this way, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so just maybe as a two-week challenge in our 21 days of prayer leading up to Easter, just as we end our time here today, let's just ask ourselves, how do we need the gospel for ourselves? Like where has our own heart grown weary? And may we simply just go to the riches of Jesus and let him just minister to your soul. Because of our incomprehensible Christ, He's both a warrior in the front lines of ministry, but he's also the medic in the battlefield. 
And so again, let's ask ourselves, who, what does it look like to go and just sit at the medic's table and let the gospel minister to your soul? What does it look like to be filled with the abundance of the grace and power of Jesus? Then you also, you know what? While we're there at the medic's table with Jesus, being filled with his incomprehensible, overflowing grace and power and goodness, he then says, go and take this to the world. And then you know what else he says? He says, oh yeah, guess what? I've got a whole army called the church to go with you. And they too have an abundance of overflowing grace and power. You're not alone in this. And you know what happens when we, the church, lock arms together from all different walks of life with all different struggles and hardships being mended together by the overflowing goodness of God? New City, the demons fall down and they just tremble in fear. And the angels fall down and worship at the glory of God displayed through the church. And I can't help but say what a privilege, what an honor it is to proclaim Christ to the world. And so again, who is it that you're praying for to come to Christ? Like who is far from God but close to you? Who is it that you want to invite to Easter this year? Who is it that needs the healing balm of the gospel? And you know what? I have a good hunch that we can all say, I need it. I need it. Because we all need it. New City, we have an abundance of good news, and so may we proclaim it to us and also to the world. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for how you love us. God, we're thankful for how you care for us. God, we pray um, that your goodness and your grace and your mercy would just be uh, overwhelming to us. God, we're so thankful that you call us sons and daughters of Jesus. We pray right now, if there's anyone in here that has not professed faith in Christ, that, have, that does not understand or has today first heard the gospel for the first time, God, we pray if they believed it, that they would have the courage to tell someone and just maybe be baptized on Easter Sunday to proclaim to the world what they now have in Christ. God, you're so good to us. Uh, we're so thankful for the gospel, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.